2012, it is here, and I'm not sure what happened to 2011, other than, uh, right, the older you get, the quicker life <laughs> seems to go. And, uh, and so we start the series today uh, called Go, and I'll become abundantly clear uh, in a few mo- moments uh, <laughs> why uh, all of the creative geniuses around the table decided to uh, uh, entitle the series Go. But think about this, there's moments in life... Uh, that you and I, we, we can just recall, I mean, just crystal clear recollect, recollection where we were, what was going on, what was happening in life, right? You just, you just remember those moments throughout life where you can just think back right now and you're like, yeah, at that moment, I remember exactly what I was doing. There's moments like that also for us as a church, for an organization. There's these moments along the timeline that, that, that we all remember when, whatever church you're a part of, or whatever that means for you. Like, there's a very, very, very small few people that, that, uh, of you that, that remember exactly when this thought of renaissance kind of emerged. Remember what you were doing, where you're at. Like, there's just a small group of people that would remember that moment. There's another group of people that's a little bigger, but still pretty small, that remember uh, the YMCA and the school and what portable church felt like. I don't know if you've ever been part of a portable church. Uh, They're difficult. It's not easy every Saturday or Sunday having to set up everything to do church, to after you're done with church, having to tear it all back down, shoving it in a trailer every week. If you've ever been part of a portable church, whether Renaissance or another church, you know how difficult that is. For a larger group, but still a smaller group, you remember that first Sunday or second Sunday here in the opera house. I can just imagine what that felt like to walk into this place with all this space. What are we going to do with all this space? But yet there's this feeling of a permanency, a legitimacy, right? That, okay, we have a church. It's going to make it. It's here. It's in the middle of Summit. And what that must have been like. For many of you, like me, you've only known the Opera House in its current form. It's all that you've known. Well, on January 29th, we're going to have what I believe another one of those moments where we're going to experience together. It's going to be one of those moments where we're going to roll out what we're kind of terming Renaissance 2.0 a strategic vision that we feel like God has orchestrated, he's wired together, and we are just to humbly follow him in that. And so uh, if, if you were here on my first Sunday speaking, we were doing this series, launched a series called CORE, and I asked everyone to commit to f- five weeks. Come to church five weeks for me. And uh, uh, I will never forget, I had a guy walk up to me the very first uh, week of CORE, and uh, and he said to me, hey, Chris, this is my very first time here at Renaissance. And you just challenged me to come to church five weeks in a row. He goes, I haven't been in church that much in the last, I don't know, 10, 12, 15. And for years, he's never been in church. And he goes, so you're going to ask me to come five weeks in a row? I'm like, yeah, you can do it. And I use my little line, treat it like breakfast. You have to eat breakfast on Sunday morning. So, hey, free breakfast, come. Five weeks, give me five weeks. At the end of the fifth week, he walked back up to me. And he says, I was here every week. Awesome. Guess what I'm doing today? 
but it's, it's a deal. I'm not saying five weeks. I'm saying four. Look at that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a giver. But uh, it's, kind of four, it's kind of four weeks with an asterisk to it. Please be here from now until January 29th. You need to be, and I'll explain why you need to be in a month. But please be here every week. It's going to be that important for you to be here. And on the 29th, I'm going to share with you kind of this Renaissance 2.0 vision and where we're headed, us as a church, as a community of people, where we're going to go. But then that night, and here's the asterisk to four weeks, that night we have Vespers. And uh, I, I really want all of you to be at Vespers. It's that important for you to be there. It's going to be a night of worship. It's going to be a night of prayer. It's going to be a night where we literally just say to God, okay, God, we're laying this all at your feet. And we're going to ask you to bless it. We're going to ask you to show up in a major way. Because here's what I know. No matter uh, how many great leaders are around the table, and we have great leaders in this church, God's a better leader. Right? God's just a better leader. No matter how many bright minds we have around the table, and this church is filled with uh, just amazing, amazing minds, God's still brighter. Right? And we just want God right at the middle of all of this. So we lean into his strength. We lean into his wisdom. We lean into him. And that we never get a step ahead of God, but we stay one small step right behind him as he guides. And so that's going to be Vespers on the 29th. And I know for some of you, the thought of coming four weeks to church is a lot. But the thought of going to church twice in one day, I, I get. I'm giving you a few weeks to get ready for church all right, and if you need to take the next week off, uh, uh, fine, but please, the 29th, I mean, mark that on your calendar. I think it's going to be one of those historic days for, for us as a church. But you see, the 29th, for me, even though it's going to be historic and it's going to be important and all those things, it's not as important as today in the following two weeks. You see, the 29th is going to be about the how. How we're going to accomplish this vision that we feel God has given to us. But more important than the how is the why. The conviction of the why always drives the how, correct? First of the year, New Year's resolutions, and you develop a plan to get in shape. That's the how. You develop the plan. This is how I'm going to get in shape. But if you don't have the conviction of the why, well, shoot, it's January 8th. How are you doing? Right? The conviction of the why will always drive the how and whether you're going to be successful. Marriage, right? The how, the wedding, is one thing, right? All those plans. And I know for some of you, you complicated the how process. That's okay. Um, but, right, it's pretty simple. You get a dress, you get a piece of paper, you have to have great cake. Have you ever been to a wedding with horrible cake? Like, seriously, right? That's like the biggest letdown. You're like, oh, cake, wedding cake. It's supposed to be the best. You take a bite, and you're like, oh, you want to walk up to the bride and say, really? But you don't do that, right? <laughs> that would be a death sentence, right? But the house, if you've been married any, any number of years, you, you know the why that drives the how. Why get married? It's the most critical part of your marriage. It's not that day. Because that day comes and goes. It's the years after that, right? The why, the conviction of the why, 
must drive the how. So we're going to spend three weeks talking about the why that will lead into the how on the 29th. Throughout the Bible, there's, there's just very critical moments, and I hate to put one above the other, but I'm going to do that, and you can argue with me, which is okay. But today, for today, I'm going to put one above the other, and I think this is one of the most foundational, critical you know, moments in the Bible that we need to really uh, kind of lean into, especially as we move into Renaissance 2.0. And it's called the Great Commission. Maybe today is the first day ever hearing about the Great Commission, Maybe you grew up in church like me, and you've heard it so many times that it's kind of like Charlie Brown's mom. It's like, wah, 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 great commission, right? Okay, act like you've never heard it before. Maybe you've heard some teachings on it before, and maybe it's still kind of muddy in your mind. Today and next week and the week after, I hope that it becomes crystal, crystal clear about the great commission because it is a conviction of the why that will lead us to the how. It's so important that it's found in all four Gospels and even in uh, the book of Acts. So it's found five times. That's, I'm not saying if you find like one verse and only one verse on the subject matter in the Bible, you shouldn't listen to it. All I'm saying is when it's found five times, we really, really should pay attention to it. And it's really at the heartbeat of what's driven Renaissance 2.0 and this vision that is in the process of coming together. We're going to look at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 today. And it starts in verse, uh, uh, verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Well, quickly, there were twelve disciples, right? There's twelve. Judas uh, kills himself, right? So now there's eleven. And when you get into the book of Acts, they, uh, they elect one more person, so they're back at twelve. So right now in this moment, there's only eleven uh, disciples. So the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, I think what's so uh, amazing in this moment is that, that we're going to have one of the boldest commands in the Bible. It's going to be one of those moments. And right in the midst of this kind of bold uh, command that Jesus is going to give you and I, right, right there, there's, Matthew goes, but some doubted. The word is actually translated hesitated. But some hesitated. I... Uh, uh, months ago, I jumped off the, uh, uh, the Stratosphere Tower in Vegas. It was one of those great ideas that, that my brother-in-law gave to me, and I, I think I've shared this story. But there was a moment, right, where I, I hesitated, right? Right before he started counting down, and I'm standing on a perfectly good building, right? There's a moment where I, I, I hesitated, and I had all these thoughts and emotions just welling up inside of me. Like one thought was, I hope that guy who just buckled me in or strapped me in, I hope he's having a really good day, right? Like in some jobs, if you're distracted one day, right, it's okay, right? You can recover. I'm just hoping he's not having one of those days, right? There's this other moment in my mind as he's strapping me in. I'm just hoping that I, I, I'm not that guy that, that drew the short stick where that one wire that's really tethering me in decides to break, right? Like cords break at some point, at some point, right? I'm just hoping, right? I kind of leaned back a little bit. There was some doubt. There was fear. There was questions. There was concern, right? This whole myriad of emotion just welled up inside of me. Here's what I know. Over the next four weeks, four years, there's going to be moments where you are going to hesitate. 
it's, it's going to happen. It's going to kind of force you back on your heels a little bit. Emotionally, you're going to be a little bit conflicted. You're not sure what you're going to do with all of it. And it's going to, and I just want you to, that's okay. It's okay. There's been moments over the last four to five months as this vision has come uh, uh, kind of in, in a clearer, clearer picture where guess what it's forced me to do? It's forced me back on my heels a little bit. There's been moments where I've just felt the weightiness of it. There's been moments where I've realized that uh, the physical toll that this is going to take on me, the emotional toll that it's going to take on me, the spiritual toll that it's going to take on me. And there's been moments where I've just wanted to say, God, really? And God clearly says, yeah. Just stay one step behind me, Chris. That's all I'm asking you to do. So there's three things I'm going to ask from you when you encounter these moments of hesitation. Whatever is driving that, three simple things. Number one is pray. Don't dismiss that. It's easy to do. Oh, yep, the preacher just said pray. Ding, 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 he gets the prize. All right? It's not a church response. I'm serious, pray. But here's what I want you to do. So many times when we go to God to pray, we talk, 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 talk to God. And you know what I think sometimes God's wanting to say? Shut up. I would respond. Just stop talking. Right? I got an answer for you. It'll be just breathe, right? I have a nine-year-old going on 16. And right now I'm in the season where she just... I'm like, oh, key stop. I want duct tape. I'd never act on that emotion, but right? Like, just, no, I, I'm going to tell you, like, just slow down. I think God so many times just wants us to, so he can speak. And God's not going to overtalk you, right? He's not going to do it. He will sit there and say, when you're done, before Jesus encountered a very tough, emotional, spiritual um, part of his ministry. You know what he did? He prayed. After a tough spiritual journey, season of ministry, you know what Jesus did? He prayed. When Jesus had nothing left emotionally, you know what he did? He prayed. When Jesus hesitated in the garden, You know what he did? He prayed. When you encounter moments over the next four weeks, four years, what I'm going to ask from you is this. Just pray and do more listening than talking. Number two, seek to understand. Seek to understand. I had a great moment last week. I was able to come and actually just sit and be part of the church and uh, I, I really value those moments where I can worship with my wife because Sunday morning, usually, uh, uh, you know, I'm kind of doing this thing. And so I had a weekend where I actually could worship with my wife. My parents are, are in town. I could worship with them. And so I'm sitting, I'm just worshiping. And uh, after service, I had a gentleman come up to me. And you could tell there's kind of this emotional, like, kind of conflict within his spirit. Like, there's something there. And he came up to me. He goes, I, I got a question for you. I'm like, shoot, ask. And he goes, that's what he said. He goes, if the vision of Renaissance is so important, why are you burying it in Vespers? Oh, 
that's a killer question, right? Like, I'm like, well, there's one. I had two quick responses. One is, you know what? As I was sitting out this morning, I realized that we didn't do a good job sharing about the vision of Vespers on the 29th. And uh, we can always get better. And I'm sorry that that wasn't clear. I actually kind of wrote a mental note myself that when it, in the next ser- service, if he came to the 11, what service is this? 1130? Um, <laughs> still service time's all messed up in my head. Um, that uh, we cleared it up for the next one. Second of all, thank you for asking. Thank you for coming to me and asking a great question. Thank you for allowing me to respond. I'm going to ask that from all of you. There's going to be moments where we could do a better job sharing something, or maybe you didn't quite get all of it. Who knows, right? We know if you're married, communication, right? What's said and what's perceived. Woo, sometimes. This, this is going to happen here. So don't leave here without asking your question. And hopefully we can respond in such a way. Or we can say, you know what? We weren't clear. We're sorry. We will fix that. I'm not above that. But it leads me to the third piece. There might be a moment, just a moment, where after you pray and after you seek to understand, where you're just going to have to trust the leadership of the church. I think those are going to be very, very, very few moments. But there might just be a point where you just have to say, okay, I trust. I'm going to follow. But let's make sure we do one and two. Because I think if we do those two things, guess what? Number three, it's going to, A, build trust. But B, I don't don't even think we're going to have to get there much. Because we're going to do a lot of praying and seeking God. And we're going to seek to understand together. And us as a community, as a church, we're going to move on together. Verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that command, that statement. All authority, not some, not a large percentage, not most, but all authority has been given to me on earth and in heaven. Jesus is wanting to get our attention. He's wanting to make sure that we hear him. He's wanting to make sure that we're leaning in and we realize that he is the resurrected Christ, the Messiah, God, and we should listen to him. We go back to Matthew chapter four. Three times Satan tempted Jesus, three times. On the third temptation, Satan takes Jesus up to this highest point on this mountaintop. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, all of this, All of these earthly kingdoms are yours. All you have to do is kneel and worship me. And Jesus in that moment said, get out of here, Satan. I will only worship God. And now we have the resurrected Messiah standing there making this definitive statement. And I think he kind of has a smile, the smirk, because he knows. He knows Satan's watching. He knows Satan's looking in on it. And he's saying yes to you and I, but he's also saying to Satan, you know what? Uh Uh-uh. I have all authority on, on earth and in heaven. It's all mine. And that you and I, we should lean into this moment and realize that, that, that Jesus 
is giving us this command. And this is what he says. Therefore, go. Now, I would love an exclamation mark right there. Like if I was writing the Bible, which is a great thing that I'm not, right? I would love just, I could like pin it in there. Therefore, go, right? There's something about the word go, isn't there? Have you ever tried to say go softly? It just doesn't sound right. Go, right? Like it's just, like when you say the word go, it's like go. Like it's a strong, impacting, commanding word, right? You're driving on the parkway. Somehow you get stuck, you're already laughing because you know, you get stuck in the right-hand lane and this person going mock speeds of all of 35 miles an hour decides to come onto the parkway and you can't get over left. What do you scream at that person? I mean, in in the confines of church, what do you scream at that person, right? (laughs) Go! You don't say it softly, go, right? Like, it's like, go. I'll I'll try to make this illustration gender neutral. You're you're stopped at a a stoplight. One car's in front of you, it's red. And this gender-neutral person in front of you leans over to to look in this gender-neutral person's bag and decides to put on makeup. It turns great. And you're watching all of this, right? Right? You all know. And some of you are guilty of that. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying it could happen. And it turns green for 1.75 seconds. You are patient. Then what do you scream? Go! You're in target, pushing your cart, you're running late, and your child decides to stop right in front of your cart to pick up a penny, right? And as you're running into him, what do you scream? Go! You have to say it like that, right? You can't say it softly. And Jesus just made this statement. All authority on earth and in heaven is given to me, therefore, go. We have to realize that this isn't a suggestion for us. This isn't one of those warm and fuzzy, good feel moments in the Bible where we're like, oh, great suggestion. Let me look on my iPhone. Oh, oh, it might fit in. Go and do what? He said, make disciples. And underneath this umbrella of making disciples, he lays out two critical pieces, baptizing them, teaching them. Baptizing and teaching. Here at Renaissance, we talk about believer's baptism. And what we teach is that baptism is the outward sign of the inward change, the inward transformation. That when you accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, when you put your entire life and say, I'm surrendering my life, Jesus, to you, baptism is that outward expression. It's a moment to celebrate with friends and family. It's a moment to say, you know what? I've made this decision internally. Now externally, I'm telling people about it. And you know what Jesus was saying? Your command to go to make disciples is reaching people who do not have a relationship with me. People that are far from God. People that are unconnected to God. People who haven't surrendered their life to God. And then teaching. And that's all about us becoming who God has created us to be. To obey the commands, to obey what Jesus has asked us to be and to become, to follow in his image, to become like him. And there's a both and. Next week we're going to talk a lot more about this. But one of the foundational uh, principles here at Renaissance is how this church was even founded. The desire of, of, of why Renaissance even came to be 
is that this would be a place where people who do not have a relationship with God, who are unconnected from God, can understand what he came to walk in this earth, to die, and that we can have hope, and we can have joy, and we can have purpose, and we can have life eternal. There's imagery throughout the Bible, and I love it, and especially when it pops up, you really need to pay attention to it. And there's this whole light imagery throughout, throughout the whole Bible. It starts in Genesis chapter 1. You know, it's in the creation where there's darkness. And the Spirit was hovering over the earth. And then God spoke light. Can you imagine that moment where he's speaking light and the light pierces the darkness and light enters into this world? Well, throughout the Old Testament, there's this imagery of light and it comes into the New Testament. And we find Jesus making these statements that I am the light. And that we should reflect his light. And that we should be his light bearers. In John chapter 8, there's this amazing story where there's this woman who literally was caught in the act of adultery. It's important. It wasn't the rumor mill, right? It wasn't, well, someone said that to someone else who said through someone else that they think that someone might be having an affair, right? She was caught in the act. That's clear enough, right? They bring her to the temple, the church. Could you imagine that moment? You're talking about uncomfortable. <laughs> they bring her in, set her down right next to Jesus, and said, Jesus, this person was caught in the act of adultery. Old Testament law says we should kill her. What do you say? There's this moment where Jesus is literally riding into the, the, the dirt, the sand in the, on the ground. And he said, those of you without sin, cast the first stone. And John 8 says, one by one, from oldest to youngest, they walked away. And then we come to verse 12. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Have the light of life. St. Francis of Assisi. uh, He said this famous uh, saying. Preach the gospel always. And if necessary, use words. Isn't that awesome? That we are to reflect the image of God. That we are are to reflect his light everywhere we go. And that our lives should reflect him. And if we do that, people will know who he is. That's living our lives to reflect him. And I absolutely love that statement. You know what? I absolutely hate it. I really do. You know why? Because it gives people an excuse not to use their mouths. Oh, I agree. Our actions should reflect Christ. And again, please don't, we're not expecting perfection, right? We all get that. One perfect person who ever walked this earth, Jesus, and that's none of us here, right? So we're not, we're not, at, we're not talking perfection here, right? We're talking about living our lives to reflect Christ, striving to become like him in everything we say and do. 
But you know what I hate about that? It gives people an excuse to say, well, Chris, I'm living my life for Christ. People will know who Christ is by my actions. That's part of it. But really, will they know if you don't use your mouth? Could you imagine, parents, if you use that to raise your kids by? My kids will know how to be an adjusted adult by just watching me. I don't need to tell them one thing. They'll learn how to walk. They'll learn how to cook. They'll learn how to feed themselves. And at age three, they'll learn how to drive by watching me. Right? How absurd is that? Like, right, parents, we know that. Yeah, we, our kids are watching us. We all realize that, right? Our kids watch us and watch us, but we also have to teach them with our mouths. You and I need to, with our lives, with our actions, and with our mouths, tell people about our stories, about how God has changed our lives, and how we are different. And I understand everyone in this room is at a different place spiritually. I get it. Wherever you're at in the journey, tell people about it. About a month ago, uh, I found myself, it was one of those long days, great day, but one of those long days, and I uh, started really, really early, and uh, um, early morning meeting, and then preached three times, and a, uh, an afternoon meeting, and a lunch, and one of those days, and uh, I found myself after the last meeting of the day, it was right before Vespers, I literally ran home for 30 minutes to grab my Bible to come back, and I found myself in a conversation with a, a lady, her name's Lucille, and she was sharing with me her story. And it captivated my heart because not only does someone take time to use their actions and words to impact her life for Christ, she got that she was to live that out. That didn't stop just with her, that she had to take what was given to her and express that everywhere she goes. So we, we asked her to tell to share her story. Watch this video. I have a girlfriend who our children started in school together at the same time. And it came to a point in my life where I had everything I needed. I had a wonderful husband. I had two great kids, a nice place to live, friends. And I was so unbelievably unhappy. And I couldn't figure out why I could be so unhappy because I had every trapping that you could ever ask for. And she came to me one day and she said, you know, what is it? What's wrong with you? I said, I don't know. I said, I have everything I could ever need and want and I'm really unhappy. I feel really empty inside. She said, well, you don't have God in your life. And I said, oh, come on, don't be ridiculous. I went to parochial school. I went, you know, to church. I got married in a church. My kids were both baptized. I said, you're crazy. And she said, you don't have God in your life. And you need to not just go to church. You need to go to church and you need to read and you need to understand what you're reading and have a love for God. She said, you know, I think you should go to church. This is our church. It's really cool. You know, you have to come. So I brought a girlfriend with me and we sat down and the music started. And I thought, oh, this is too much for me. It's loud. It's eight o'clock. And it's this is just too much. 
but I'm going to come back the following week. So then I said to Charlie, why don't you come with me and we'll bring the kids and we'll, you know, we'll check it out. And by the third service that I had gone to, I was completely hooked, completely. And I was so taken in by how I could now live in a place that's so, for lack of a better word, corrupt and not feel like I needed to live in a bigger house or I needed more friends or I needed a second country club. I felt like I didn't need any of those things anymore, that this was enough. Then I came to a group and I sat with a group of women who were so authentic and so organic in what they were saying. And they weren't afraid to say, I'm really upset with my husband or I'm really having a hard time with my kids. And I was fascinated. I had never met women that were honest, that said, yeah, you know what? I've had a bad day. I met women that were like, oh, you know, hey, I'm going to the hair salon and I'm getting my nails done and we're going on four vacations this year and everything's great. Meanwhile, you know, when the door opens a little bit, you can see the cracks in their life. And I was fascinated that these women showed you the cracks. They didn't, they didn't care. It was like, listen, I'm here, you're here, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you, you're going to help me, and we're going to be great. And one woman came forward and said, you know, how long have you lived here? And, you know, do you like it? And I said, I've lived here a long time, but I don't really like it because I find people to not be so civil and they're not so kind. And she said, well, I'll be your friend. And then, you know, it was like I was eight, you know, and I thought, oh, my gosh, she, she's good. she wants to be my friend. She doesn't know me. She doesn't know where I went to college. She doesn't know where my husband works. She doesn't know where I live. She doesn't know where my kids go to school. And she likes me just because I'm sitting in front of her. And I thought it was such a fascinating experience for me. And it totally changed my life in every aspect. And I knew at that moment that life would never be the same. So it kind of is like an addiction in the sense that you want everybody to feel as good as you feel every day. And everybody that I see and everybody that I talk to, I'm like, oh, you've got to go to this great church. Oh, we go to this great church. And you have to come to the Christmas concert. And, you know, it, it's just the best. You'll meet so many nice people. And, and I think that really teaches you how to live your life every day here and how you can walk forward and treat people differently. And if they mistreat you, it's, it's okay because you know that you have the Lord with you. So it doesn't matter to me who they are. And I do talk to everybody and the response is overwhelming. It's, you know, it's nice because people aren't ever inviting you to, they'll invite you to a bar, they'll invite you to dinner or lunch, but they're not asking you to come to church. So I think when you ask somebody to come to church, they know that it's special, it's different. It's some, you know, there's something there that's grabbed you as opposed to, well, let's go to Huntley Tavern, you know, and have a glass of wine. It's, it's really got a hold on you. I think if we would have had 12 Christmas concerts this year, Lucille would have been at every one of them with someone. Every time I turned around, she was sitting there with another friend that she had invited, another friend that she cared enough to use her mouth and her life, but to ask. During one of the Christmas concerts, I was coming um, up the stairs, and I stopped at the second uh, floor and, and uh, saw a guy I know, and he had a friend with him. And uh, so quickly got in the conversation, and uh, it was just one of those moments where this guy 
said to me, he goes, he goes, yeah, he's been inviting me now four or five years in a row, and I've, I've said no to him every year. And finally, he beat me down enough. I said, yes. But you know what I saw in his eyes when he said he beat me down enough? You know what he's saying? I guess if he cares enough for me that he has asked me four times, five times in a row, and I keep saying no. I guess if he loves me enough that he keeps inviting me even though I say no. I guess if he keeps in my life even though I keep saying no, then maybe there's something here that I need to come check out. My prayer for renaissance is that we take Christ's command to go so seriously that we have a catastrophic space issue. And I'm just going to be bold. This slipped out the first service, and it's just stayed in my notes. So I guess give me forgiveness, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Uh, If you're sitting out there right now going, man, there's just too many people here. Will you please go to one of the countless churches in this area that do not have a space issue and take out one of their seats? Church isn't about our consumption. It's not. Why? Because marriages need to be restored. Families need to be brought together. People without hope need to find a hope. People without joy need to discover a joy. People without eternity need to understand that Jesus came and died for them. And we have the messenger, or we have the message. I can't even say that. We have the message. And Jesus has called us to be the messenger. All of us. To go. To go. So the question is, are you willing to do what Jesus has commanded of you? There's a poem, and uh, it's way too long for me to read, but it's from Sam Shoemaker. It's called I Stand at the, at, at the Door, and uh, you can Google that and find it. But I'm going to read an excerpt of it. And he writes this. You can go in too deeply and you can stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place, near enough to God to hear him and know that he is there, but not so far away from people as not to hear them and remember they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands and millions of them. But more important for me, one of them, two of them, Four of them, whose hands I am intended to take and place upon the latch. So I shall stand at the door and wait for those people who seek it. I'd rather be the doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. We need to be a church, a community of people that are doorkeepers. Yes, it's about the millions out there, but more importantly, it's about the one, the two, the four, that God has taken your life and intersected with. And God's saying, you are my voice. 
You are to reflect me. So what are you going to do with the one life that he has given you? Don't tell me your life isn't intersecting with people every single day. And God is begging you to take their hand and put it on the latch. He's commanding you to reflect him. Both in your life and in your words. He has given you the message. What are you going to do with it? Renaissance is all about it's how it was started. It's all about helping people connect in, into a relationship with the Savior. It's a foundational piece of the Great Commission. It's Jesus' command to go. To go. Let's pray. Lord, I pray. I pray for Renaissance. I pray for this community of people that we will take your command seriously. Lord, that we are to be your light in this world. That we are to be your light. Lord, I pray that as we move through our week, through the month, through the years, that, Lord, we will keep coming back to how are we to reflect you? How are we to be the messenger? Because you've given us the message. How are we? To help people in their spiritual journey. How are we to do that? Lord, I pray that we'll never get in front of you. But we'll be a close, close step right behind you. As you lead us into becoming, as a church, all that you've desired this church to become. In your name I pray. Amen.